Hello, we're Bluecast. I'm Rob. I'm Ewan. And I'm James. So the question is, why are we called Bluecast? Yes. Yes. First episode of 2021. Welcome back. Oh yeah. yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New wow. Year. We've survived. If there was any reason you wanted to go out into space, well, maybe this movie isn't the one to inspire you to do that, but <laughs> last year certainly did. Uh, <laughs> that was like, wasn't there that that astronaut who were like who went into space and everyone just collectively thought, oh, lucky bastard, like, yeah, <laughs> he got to run away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So today we're talking about the Alien franchise. This is a movie franchise which explains in very clear terms that you do not want to go into space ever, <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's the big. Science fiction horror franchise, I guess. It's the motherload, the king, the queen of the alien queen of of science fiction horror. I'm, I'm very excited to be talking about it today. It's one of the yeah. most talked about franchises of all time, probably. Yeah, of course, easily. Um, yeah, I think right after Star Wars, I'll consider Alien my favorite film franchise. Ooh. Yeah, I, I I'd probably put it over uh, Star Wars for me. I know we're going to have some very interesting conversation about the various Alien films, but I just want to put it right out the bat. I love all of them. Also, we should make it clear. When I say all of them, I'm talking about the quadrilogy. Uh, so the, the four films starring Sigourney Weaver. So Alien, Aliens, Alien Free, and Alien Resurrection. Those are the only four we are going to be discussing in this episode because... Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to be Well, we'll dedicate some oxygen to the other ones as well. No more than like a minute for yeah, each. Exactly. I'm very aware of the fact that there's like apparently going to be a TV show next year or something, and I just feel like if we try to talk about all of the alien stuff, our, our conversation will immediately be dated by next year. If we stick to the four, we're in good, safe hands. Want to talk about how we discovered Alien? I'll go first because my story is interesting. I was about four when I discovered that the Jesus. Alien franchise existed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it wasn't through the films. The memory's very fuzzy. I was in my local Woolworths. Hey. And I came across right, an action hey. figure of Lieutenant Ripley from Aliens. Nice. I think, I think it was my dad who pointed it out to me and said, uh, if I wanted the figure, I could buy it. Even though I had no idea who Ripley was, it, she was just some... Some lady with a gun. I thought, mm. oh, this is cool. I'll buy this. Yeah. So I didn't know there were films or anything. So my whole idea of what Alien was, was based on the back of the toy, which was there's like loads of soldiers with these cool guns. Yeah. And those different variations of Aliens. Yeah, it wasn't until I was nine when I found out there were films. I was at my aunt's and uncle's house and I saw they had DVDs of Alien and Aliens. I didn't borrow them or anything because they were 18 and my parents were very strict about me and not watching films above 12A 
at the time. Sure. However, I think my uncle and my cousin, who's a couple of weeks older, but his parents did let him watch the films, were telling me about bits of the two films. And I was just, even though I'd never seen them, I was fascinated by them. Mm. The mm. only other experience I had in my childhood of the films was in Universal Studios, no, not Universal, Disney Studios in Florida. There's a ride called The Great Movie Ride, and there was a segment of Alien, which is weird. I was, um, I've been on that ride. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Isn't it like there's a mob guy or something, like a, a gangster that takes over the car? Yeah, it was a cowboy, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what in tarnation is this? In 1979, director Ridley Scott and Sigourney Weaver made audiences believe that in space, no one can hear you scream. Scream? I don't like the sound of that. It's funny because now Alien is owned by Disney. R.I.P. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I, ended up, I didn't see the films until I was 18. So I bought the trilogy with some money I got for my birthday that year. I definitely enjoyed at least the first two, but for some reason I wasn't super enamoured with them. It wasn't until I think a couple of years ago I really watched them. And I realised like, like how great at least the first two were. We'll get into more <laughs> of the others later. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Although I have come around a bit more on Alien 3. Alien 3 uh, is great. Well, I'll go into it later, but yeah. yeah. Well, I discovered Alien when I was younger by basically my dad talking about it. So I was really young at the time, I was probably about nine. But my dad basically loved these movies. He had the whole set. And basically, like Rob, you know, my parents were quite strict. I never watched any horror films until I was like 15. About 16, my dad sat me down and said, like, we're going to watch some sci-fi movies. And we went through... Planet of the Apes, The Thing, and also the first two Alien movies. And that's kind of how I kind of got introduced to it, uh, so as a 16-year-old. But then I watched the... I got greeted mm. to the whole franchise on a plane journey. I was much older, about, like, 19 or something like that, maybe 20. And mm. it was from a plane journey back and forth to, another, uh, to Malaysia. So I had all this time on this plane, and it had all the Alien films on there, so I, I watched through... The theatrical cuts of Alien and Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, wow. and Covenant. I did watch Prometheus, though. I watched that in cinemas with my dad, so that's that's my story. We should also point out that every Alien film in the quadrilogy has a special edition or a director's cut. Yes. So we have... No, in Alien 3, it is not a director's cut. No, well, that's what I meant. It's, it's a special edition or whatever stupid name they <laughs> came up. The assembly cut. The assembly cut, that's it. Yeah, so we all, amazingly, we actually did all watch the different versions. So well done, Oscar. Really prepared for this one. There's a lot to talk about with Alien. So I guess with my story, Alien has always kind of been present. I think it was because, like, at the time when I, when I was growing up, like, Alien versus Predator was a thing. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for that. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing posters for it when it was yeah. coming out. I was about to yeah. say, there was, like, boss posters and stuff. So stuff like that, I definitely was aware of it. And I was aware of, like, Alien in the same way that we all were, where it was like, okay, there's, like, some kind of weird, you know, monster with a weird face head thing with the double mouth tongue thing that it's got going i think and, and oh also i really need to stress i was a really scared kid this will come as a shock to many but i used to be terrified of horror films i couldn't go anywhere near them i was scared of doctor who like all of them yeah I was, exactly yeah. i mean i wasn't even allowed to watch was it the empty child episodes of doctor who are you my mommy 
I was traumatized by the empty child episode. Um, it's scary yeah, as an adult. Yeah, I think that put me off Doctor Who for about six years or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. But then around 15 or 16, I was hanging out with some friends of mine where we would watch movies. Like, you know, just we would hang out at this friend's house and we would watch movies together. And I remember distinctly watching Alien there. And I feel like Alien might have been one of my first horror films that I properly watched. And and being scared of it, but not like, you know, freaking out and just refusing to watch it. Yeah. So that was a really important thing for me because Alien left like a real impact. Like it really stuck in my brain. At some point I watched Aliens before uni and then like afterwards I have a USS Marines core hat that they wear in the film Aliens. That's wearing it now. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a friend of mine at school got me this hat obviously because I was a, a fan of Alien and, and Aliens. But then, yeah, and then when I went to uni, I finished off and watched Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. And at some point during all of this, I also saw Alien vs. Predator and movies like that, and I instantly didn't care. <laughs> and, I, and I still don't. I still don't care about those films. Like, they exist, whatever. But all of the four films with Sigourney Weaver... They've all stuck in my brain and I have fond memories of all of them and re-watching them for this has been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed just sitting down and just enjoying the basically that what makes this series so unique is the fact that like each film comes at it from a completely different angle. Alien and Aliens, most people agree Alien is like one of the best horror movies ever made. And then Aliens is one of the best action movies ever made. <laughs> they come at it from that perspective, and I love that. And then Alien 3 is the one that no one liked, but I love. <laughs> and I love it because it kind of came at it from like almost like a dramatic perspective. It's almost theatrical. It has like this really tight script that I just love listening to. And finally, A Alien Resurrection, it was penned by Joss Whedon, R.I.P. Um, oh dear. <laughs> and that comes at it from a really 90s, ironic, comedic perspective. So I, I, I just love the different ways that they each approach basically the same story. Sigourney Weaver, she runs into a weird alien thing with a penis head um, <laughs> and blows it up throws it out an airlock, whatever. Like, they come up with all these different things. Ultimately, the story boils down to Lieutenant Ripley, Sigourney Weaver, has a weird alien that she needs to deal with. And that's mm. the plot of everyone. And they all come at it from completely different angles, and I, I love them. To be honest, I don't know why people... Like, for the longest time, I didn't think of the aliens of giant penis monster. I thought it was like a giant space pickle, but it's apparently that's wrong, so... <laughs> <laughs> when I rewatched Alien, I couldn't help thinking of the fact that they sold toys of the alien, you know, from like aliens mainly, because as, as Rob said, like, you know, they had action figures of them. Alien invasion problem? Send in the Marines! Alien. Space Marine figures and alien figures each sold separately. Like when I rewatched Alien, it just is just a penis. <laughs> The, yeah. the, the top I mean, of its head is just, it's the same shape. I've got stories about toys and alien. Yes, no, I'm excited to chat about that. Bye bye bug, each sold separately. Aliens! 
Let's jump into Aiden then, shall we? The main thing I love about the first Alien is how everything is so subtle and ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Even like the title, Alien, both lots of mystery. We don't get told exactly what this thing is, why there's loads of eggs on the plane, why there's a crashed spaceship. It makes everything scary because we don't know exactly what it is. Exactly. It is literally alien. The title's a double entendre. It's like, it's not just a weird kooky alien they run into, but the thing itself is so weird. Mm. It's, it's not like anything we've seen before. Yeah, very big contrast to a lot of the other sci-fi being released at the time. Obviously, two years before this, Star Wars came out and was like the biggest movie ever at that point. Old studios were just scrambling to get space movies and TV shows out, and a lot of it was clearly like aping Star Wars, like yeah. Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. Yeah, they even brought Star Trek out of retirement. Captain's Lock, Stardate 6051. Had trouble sleeping last night. My hiatal hernia is acting up. Star Trek 12, so very tired. Alien ended up, they greet-knit Alien because that was the only sci-fi script that 20th Century Fox had at the time. Yes, Dan O'Bannon, who, God bless him, he was he was a wonderful kind of, he was one of the writers for Alien. And Dan O'Bannon, I love him because he, he also made one of my favourite uh, horror comedies, Return of the Living Dead. Well, something that's already dead. Well, how do I know, Fred? I don't know, let me think. Not a bad question, Bert. But he was like a complete ideas man. He always came up with like these weird ideas. And his main thing was, what if we just had a weird, creepy alien, you know, running around killing everyone on a spaceship? It's an easy, dumb concept. And then Star Wars came out and I guess they realized they needed to, 20th Century Fox realized they needed to give them like a real budget. When you think of like science fiction uh, monster movies, they were kind of a joke by the 1970s. If you think of like Attack of the 50 Foot Woman, it had got to like during the 50s, like it had got to that stage where it, they were campy fun. They were silly. It was people running around in silly rubber costumes. And yeah, it looked ridiculous. And it, yeah, they were silly. And then Alien comes out. And as Rob says, it's so ambiguous and it's so eerie and like sinister and it just it gets under your skin that yeah in the, another that's another point is we barely see the alien that's what makes it so scary because it's mainly keeping to the shadows and yeah. if you never get a proper look at it it gives it more of like an ambiguous nature and that makes it so much more like menacing yeah we get all of maybe one minute of like screen time for the alien in like a two-hour film yeah yeah similar um, to something like jaws which is funny because this film was pitched at jaws in space Yes. George, we barely see the shark, mm. which adds to the suspense, partially because the shark was having all sorts of problems. But That's the thing. The alien, I know I said like all of these 50s films were silly people running around in rubber suits, but the alien is a guy running around in a rubber suit. Ah, <laughs> that, no, no, it's not. I've got the Book of Alien right in front of me here, um, <laughs> which I binge read before starting this podcast. Nice. Ridley Scott, he had a lot of uh, experience with horror films and stuff like that. They actually got this graphic design. The actor that plays the alien, it was a graphic yeah. designer, a very tall guy that they mm -hmm. just hired from a pub somewhere. And they got this yeah. rubber suit to go for him to, like, you know, pose in. And they got all these weird poses and stuff like that. And then I think one of the crew basically said, like, why were you just getting running around like they do in horror films? And then Ray Scott just kind of stumbled in and said, like, I do not want him running around. We're not mm -hmm. doing that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, basically, he hated horror films 
because they always had the monster running around. It was predictable. Mm. So what makes the alien more horrifying is that he's always posing. He's always kind of static. Mm. He's posing in shadowy sort of areas, clawing yeah. away in the shadows. I just want to say very quickly, spoiler alert for every film. <laughs> Oh, like, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> in the film, Ripley's blown up the, Nos the Nostroma, I think that's what the name oh, is. Yeah, that's yeah. The one, yeah. And she, she's like, so relieved, she's like, oh, finally got away from this bloody thing that's been chased. And then we just see the alien just lying there. Mm. We don't, we don't, I'm not sure if it is it's something that's got that kind of shape and it suddenly like jumps out at her. Yeah, it, it, it blends in with like the Nostromo shadows and, and the, the tubes and everything. It, it looked, if you, if you didn't know it was there, it, you would just think it was part of the set. Yeah. I love the design of the ship. It was very yeah. kind of very beat down and like like dreary yeah I mean, there's coffee mugs everywhere <laughs> yeah it's like which is of course different in like star wars you had like all these like really like sleek looking fast spaceships just flying around everywhere yeah but in this film they've got like these, they're just these big slow hulking behemoths they, these are these are space truckers but these are people who yeah, move think... very slowly through space you know yeah. it's like yeah, they're not the anti-star wars but yeah about... they're not like you're bashing han solos or anything it's, they're just average joes just doing their day job they're doing their job uh, before we dock i think we ought to discuss the bonus situation well you get what you contracted for, like everybody else. One thing I want to point out about the Nostromo, yeah. by the way, uh, because we were discussing and comparing it to Star Wars, the person that actually did the illustrations, the preliminary like illustrations for it, worked from Star Wars. He was part of the crew. And his name, uh, O'Bannon, no. uh, yeah. you mentioned a minute ago, he actually came and visited yeah. him one day. He's, his name is Ron Cobb. He's a beer illustrator. He's a complete nerd. Like He's basically an engineer-loving kind of collect models of spaceships for reference and vehicles and all that and like get every detail right and that really is reflected in the film like it, the very opening sequence is the Nostromo like you know looking around at all the detail of the interior mm -hmm. and like you get this feeling that some complexity to it there's a real that's where the sci-fi really shines mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like yeah. You, yeah what I loved watching Alien was I noticed the ceiling a lot I know this is really <laughs> dumb in, in a lot of movies movies don't have ceilings generally because the camera needs to be able to move around from above and things like that so it's very difficult to film stuff when there's like a ceiling. When you imagine like a, a sitcom, like there's never a ceiling on those sets ever. They always have cameras like all over the place. The set of the Nostromo is, it's so claustrophobic. Oh yeah. And almost every shot is from a low angle. We're always looking up at the protagonist because mm. They've just got the ceiling and sometimes it looks so low. It's, you know, you have to bend down to like move around it. Yeah. As Rob said, it's a beat up old ship. It wasn't designed really with humans in mind almost. Like it, it's so claustrophobic and everyone's got like cabin fever. You mentioned like the darkness of the ship. There, there was something deliberate with like the color grading going on. You know, it, like, even like the rooms, like the rooms are all white, but yeah. they still feel like really scary. They feel like there's something off-putting about yes. the way everything looks. It's like a flying yeah. cathedral. Very yeah. shadowy, like you kind of get this feeling like some ghouls hiding around there somewhere, and that's really cool. That's a point, actually. I hadn't thought about that, but the, the alien is like a gargoyle. I always think of uh, in... This is really bad, but like Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney film, I always love the fact that like the, the gargoyles themselves, like, not the cartoony ones, but like there's the bit when 
and he mentions like the eyes of Notre Dame and it's all like the eyes of the gargoyles yeah. staring at Jean-Claude Frollo. And that's what the alien's like. He blends into the statues mm. of the old ship. Yeah, no, it is It is like a cathedral. So it's, it's that's another thing as well. That, that There's an obsession with every artist, including H.R. Geiger, which we will talk about, mm. with yeah. skeletons and bones. And yes. even from the design of the ship, there's this obsession with bones and making it all look skeletal. And you really get that with the LV-426. Yes, an obsession with combining skeletons and bones with machines. And there's something yeah. machine-like even about the alien as well. And it's, that's yeah. why the and two even, intertwine. Even the space jockey's got this weird oh. design... The space yeah. That's my so favorite we, scene. Okay. We should, we, okay, so we should, we should point out quickly. So the plot of Alien is that a bunch of space truckers get a distress signal. Well, at first they think it's a distress signal from a planet that's like completely, you know, it's like a dead planet called LV-426. They land on it, they go investigate it, and they find an alien spaceship. When they get in there, they find what's been called the space jockey, which is like this giant humanoid, well, kind of humanoid alien on this big seat with like a giant telescope or something that it's staring into with its chest ruptured. It looks um, like a space elephant. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a, it's, it's got a trunk on it. It's got like a weird trunk face, yeah, and it, it's like combined with the ship, so it looks yeah. like it was almost like born inside it. Yeah. Like it, again, it never had any other purpose. And again, we don't know what this thing is. No. Which is one of the problems I have with making films up Prometheus and Covenant. Mm. They, just, they just ruin the mystery that Alien, this film uh, encapsulates. Alien Covenant wasn't as bad, but Prometheus does go out of his way to just demystify that whole scene, and I choose to retcon that almost. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah. no. no I, yeah, I, I don't think... Yeah, because in, in Prometheus, they show the the space jockey as humanoid. And I didn't watch Prometheus or Covenant until preparing for this podcast because I've heard eh, things about them. I just I only watched them for this to get a sense of context for the whole series. Yeah. Yeah. Covenant's fine, but Prometheus just was boring. It made Alien worse. <laughs> so one of the explorers, Kane, played by John Hurt, he investigates the alien spaceship and finds a huge, like, when we look at it, it's gigantic, this huge, like, warehouse, almost, of eggs, and there's thousands of them, and he goes down, he, like, touches one of them, and it immediately, like, reacts and opens up, and then something jumps out and latches onto his face. They return him back to the ship, and everything's fine. Well, not fine, like, you know, he's got a thing on his face, but then eventually, after a few hours, the thing comes off, and they find that it's dead. It's like this weird thing, they called it the face hugger, because it, like, literally just hugs someone's face, and it's impossible to, to cut off, because, well, it, it bleeds acid, they discover. And it goes um, through the ceiling. Yes, ex well, that's the thing, if they, if they cut the acid, then the acid's gonna go through the hull of the ship and yeah. kill everyone. So, it's a very dangerous creature. It's got a wonderful defense mechanism. You don't dare kill it. Uh, but then it comes off and everything's fine. And then they all go to have dinner. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this scene is perfect. Like, uh, there's no music and it seems so, 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 like, pretty normally, the, the crew, they're happily eating together. Then mm. suddenly, Kane, who had the face up wrong, he starts choking on his food. And then it becomes more violent. And then suddenly a creature erupts from his chest. Yeah. What's perfect yeah. is the other cast members 
weren't told this was going to happen, so their reaction is genuine. Yeah. Especially when you see Veronica Cartwright, who plays Lambert, it's the way that, like, oh, a thing of blood just splatters all over her face when, when the thing bursts oh, out. Yeah. I feel so sorry for her. You can, you can hear her reaction. It's apparently just like, she, what? I was reading, she apparently ducked under somewhere, like, to hide after it happened. <laughs> um, so, uh, one thing I want to point, and I covered it in the essay I wrote on it. So I wrote an essay about uh, Alien at University uh, Masters. What the writers were getting at is that for men in particular, there's a fear of becoming pregnant and they played mm. off that because it's something that they're not confronted with in real life. Yeah. So basically they got this otherworldly thing to make that possible and an insane reality and even imagining it, it gets under your skin basically. But there's that bit before all this dinner scene happens where like John Hurt's the, well, Kane was just sitting down going like, I had a nightmare where I was dreaming about smothering it. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> Dan O'Bannon said that he wanted all the men in the audience to cross their legs. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. That's one of the quotes. <laughs> I included that in my essay. That. One thing I noticed upon rewatch was, so Yafet Koto, who plays Parker, and people who've watched Live and Let Die, the James Bond film, will know Yafet Koto as the main villain in that. Uh, Mr. Big, I think? Yeah, Mr. Big, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so he's one of the cast in this, and he's like, you know, they're all joking around at the dinner table. He makes an oral sex joke. He, like, at one point says something like, you know, because they're eating dinner and Kane says, like, oh, you know, I can't wait to have, you know, a decent meal when I get home. Parker says something like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of eating something else as well. I just, it made me realize Kane has had the most lethal oral sex of all time. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Why? Yeah, that's you? another point. Like, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of this film has a lot of very, like, a lot of sexual subtext. Yeah. And that's yeah. where we should like, jump into H.R. Geiger, I think. Well, a lot of his artwork, even before Alien, you can look at it, there's an element of so, uh, fantasy horror based on his night terrors that have this really weird sexual imagery going on very subtly. And you can look yeah. very closely, there's phallic stuff going on, like, it looks like little mm. aliens, like, very skeletal beings getting it on, basically. It's very weird and horrifying at the same time. Mm. And then when you mix something like that with horrific imagery, it's really yeah. uncomfortable, it makes for uncomfortable watching. And I think that adds to the mm. horror of the alien a lot. So, the so weird that um, Kenner decided to make toys of this film. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, obviously, Kenner made just the original Star Wars toys, yeah. and they were like a massive success. They hoped to repeat this with Alien, so they planned out three three quarter inch figures, like the same scale as like Star Wars figures. Yeah. And they actually released a big twelve inch figure of the Alien. Kenner presents you Alien action figure. It was quickly pulled wow. from store shelves because the film came out and because of how non-child-friendly it was, I think there was some concern about how they're marketing it to children. In 2014, the planned three and three-quarter inch figures, I think they had the moulds for them, Funko, who make the Funko Pops, actually released the figures. They, I think they, re they made like, replications of what they would have been like. Another triumph for Alien. With the H.R. Geiger design. So Geiger has a lot of kind of interesting sexual imagery in his art. Yeah. And in the design of the alien and with the spaceship itself, because there's a lot of stuff with that, but there's a kind of ambiguous sexuality. You mentioned that in your essay, James. Yeah. The alien itself has a mix of both 
sexual characteristics because on the one hand you've got this big penis head as i mentioned but then you've also got this mouth it's a penis kind of sticks out yeah and it penetrates as well as as we see when it like shoves into people's faces but then like yeah it's, it's kind of vaginal basically well, it's like a, basically like a conscious vagina with legs <laughs> yeah it's like a weird spider vagina <laughs> and the whole ship has that same theme like there was a great book i've got because you mentioned a book i've got my book it's called alien woman the making of lt ellen ripley read it it's a good book but they talk about they described the lv426 ship as like a womb tomb because like everything on it is dead but it's got these thousands of eggs in it. When they walk in, they walk into like these big vagina doors, basically. <laughs> so you realize that, well, the humans walking in, well, they're gonna be impregnated by these eggs. So there's a, a kind of disturbed sex act that's yeah. going on. Yeah, there's also two things I wanted to point out. And I mentioned the first one in my essay, which is the beginning of the cryo chamber, looks like little eggs, like in the womb almost. In fact, it looks almost like a, yeah. like a birth chamber, do you know what I mean? Where, like, children are preserved. But then also the second, there's a second yeah. scene which we talked about, but I didn't mention in my essay, and I'm really annoyed that I didn't, which is the bit where the android malfunctions. Which, by the way, apparently a, a person came in to serve food when it's, like, first viewing. Uh, passed out when he saw that, because he it was so graphic. Yeah. He was just like, oh my god, the head's been separated or something like that. But there's a, a whole room full of pornography, and also the android tries to, like, kill Ripley with this magazine. And you, I mm. mean, how did you describe it? And you said it was like kind of like a, almost an assault, almost? It was like... It's like sexual assault. Yeah. Okay, so we... Oh, this is the thing, I completely forgot about Ash. So Ash is played by Ian Holm, actual R.I.P., beloved, you know, oh. Bilbo Baggins. But Ash, in the film, it turns out that he's an android working for the evil company, who are the real villains of the film, because they're the ones who sent the crew to the planet to pick up this alien. And uh, they want it for their weapons division because they're a contractor corporation who yeah. are wanting to, wanting to make money off of this thing. But anyway, so eventually Ripley, you know, Sigourney Weaver, figures out that the company are trying to get them all killed, basically. And Ash, working for the company, tries to, you know, tries to stop her and silence her. And so the way he does that is, yeah, he grabs this 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 porn magazine rolls it up and starts jamming it down her throat and it's like it's horrific because it is just it's a form of basically oral sex but lacking an actual penis a, i guess yeah it's not in a literal sense at all it's, it's... no no but when you think of like oh i also want to say quickly these are the most pro-abortion films ever made um <laughs> it's, it's like please 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 kill the fetus because <laughs> it's, it's it, trying to kill you <laughs> yeah it, it will come out and try to kill you but this was the era of roe versus wade the, the big abortion debate in america at the time so this was a big discussion point during the 70s the porno magazine comes from another side of the kind of the feminist like kind of discourse which is of course the argument that pornography is an attack on women so when you have a character jamming a porno magazine in a woman's throat <laughs> trying to kill her i feel like 
there's very deliberate messaging going on there. Pro abortion. Ben Shapiro should watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get to the director's cut of this film? Yes. So the director's cut, there's some extra scenes. And on the one hand, I want to say quickly, I actually prefer the original version because I think the pacing's stronger. Like, it's a stronger film. Oh, I agree. But... I love the the extra scenes that the director's cut adds in. Like they're all interesting, and they all kind of add extra layers to the to the story. The thing with the director's cut is Bridley Scott was asked to produce it for the Alien Quadrilogy box set. Yeah, but the reason there wasn't a director's cut before then was because he felt the film was perfect. But he thought, ah, this could be a way to just have an alternative way to watch the film, which is basically what the director's cut is. It does not replace the original. Yeah, it is an alternative way to watch the film yeah to his credit uh, it doesn't feel drastically different in comparison to the other cuts but there are some minor changes that are very significant in nature and that yeah. it's the one scene in particular which is the weird thing that this alien makes basically to trap all the victims and they're still alive in this cocoon basically horrifying that is yeah, horrifying but that one scene it's makes all the difference i hardly notice many other changes in the film Apart from that one, that one really stuck out to me. It's it's so uncomfortable to watch and distressing. It's, it's, yeah, it's like I think what's disturbing about it is it's like a spider's web because yeah. it's like you have these these people and they are literally cocooned in like this kind of weird thing, and you realise that with poor Brett Harry Dean Stanton, he's literally been transforming into an egg basically, and Dallas, the the captain, who's been you know, captured by the alien and he's still alive is also slowly morphing into whatever this thing is, whether it's an egg, whether it's a cocoon, we don't know, but it's, it's metamorphizing them. They're changing and it's very disturbing. But uh, even just little scenes, like I loved L Lambert has a bit more personality in the director's cut. At one point she straight up slaps Ripley, which I was amazed by watching it. Is that because uh, Ripley wouldn't let them back on the ship because they had to be quarantined? Yes, yes. So um, very 2020 pandemic. Ripley oh. is, she's following the rules perfectly. And she says, no, they cannot come on board because uh, Kane has some kind of weird organism on his face, which will bring, you know, could be a risk of infection, which she is proven right later on. Paul's the dickhead robot had to go, oh, I'm going to let them on because of science. Well, Boris, of course. Boris Johnson you know. should watch this film. Well, that <laughs> could teach him about <laughs> But for the longest time, Ash is the one who looks like he's the good guy here. Like for the yeah, longest that's, time, he's the, the robot twist is so well built up. Like you have no mm. idea of it until yeah. it happens. Ash is a goddamn robot. He's probably my favorite. Like aside from Ripley, I think Ash is my favorite character because it's it's the very end. Yeah, it's when, as you mentioned, James, like they knock his head off, which is horrifying. It's like and it and it like it falls backwards onto his back, and it's oh, yeah. and it's like oh, it's grim. So, yeah. The film yeah. it doesn't have a clear protagonist until about halfway through when the um, yeah. Ripley suddenly falls into that role. Yeah. yeah, well, she's the only one left. When, when the film started, I thought Kane was going to be the protagonist because it focuses on him, and then obviously he's the first to go. It's it's the scene at the very end when he's like admiring the alien, um, Ash. He's like, and he says my favorite line in the film. Admires purity. The thing that about Ash is that he seems to have like an android superiority complex. This idea that like androids are like the next step of 
human evolution. Yeah. I think he sees the alien in very similar light. The alien, which is of course ba basically John Hurt, Cain's uh, child. Ash refers to it as Cain's son, even, which has interesting biblical connotations. If you think of Cain and Abel, wow. the, he sees the alien as like a real improvement on humanity, which becomes a big theme in the later films. Is this kind of obsession yeah. with the alien as this kind of greater being? I really love the cast of Alien. That's yeah, a good point. You mentioned, we, we were talking about this, but like the way the act characters act and the dialogue, even though it's not, it's not really a character-driven film, they're no. very believable. Like I can imagine these people reacting in this sort of way to they, an alien. The other films don't quite get that right, I don't think, in this one. No, they, they, between the camera work and the editing and the production design, I think like the, the actors are just so perfect. Yeah. And when you realize, like all of them are great. Um, so this is a really pretentious Hollywood term, but they're all character actors. And you think, oh, well, all actors are character actors. Yeah. And like, yeah, they are. But character actors usually play kind of interesting and kind of distinctive roles. Think of like John Hurt, who like played everyone from like Doctor Who or the Doctor, I should say. But to things like Quentin Crisp in The Naked Civil Servant and Caligula in I, Claudius. Winston in 1984. Uh, exactly. Yeah. The uh, rabbit Harry in Warship Down. Sorry, Karen. Yeah. Harry yeah. Dean Stanton is in like a ton of David Lynch things. And Ian Holm, of course, uh, is in Fifth Element. He's uh, Bilbo in Lord of the Rings. And Veronica Cartwright is in Witches of Eastwick. Like, you know, oh my God. Like, the, this cast, they're all wonderful. And I just wanted to... And of course, Sigourney Weaver, because of course just phenomenal like uh one one fun story i i heard was that because of course they were originally going to cast a man to play ripley but then i think at some point they just thought could we cast a woman for this one story i loved was that with the studio they showed Tagoni weaver's screen tests to all the secretaries uh in the studio who were all women <laughs> And she tested really well with them, so that was their decision. <laughs> During this sort of period, I think, there was like a big uh, rise in the sort of strong female protagonists, and I think that was like during the whole tank girl craze and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. totally. Uh, you know, you could suddenly, you could have this badass uh, woman that's like, you know, anti-authoritarian mm -hmm. and anti-everything that's been done before. Instead, oh. they're like the one leading the way, and that's, I kind of see that with, like, you know, uh, well, that. That's a good lead on to Aliens. Yay! Which... I got signals, I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving in, it ain't us. Get me out of there! Aliens. This time, it's war. Technically, I think Alien, on an objective level, I think Alien is a better film. Yeah. However, Aliens is probably my favourite. I was well, I used to like it, but now that I've watched it again as an adult, both versions are... Mm, sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's fine. We'll, 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 we'll have another clash later. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's like, it's there are good things about this film, but at the same time, for me, the alien doesn't show up for the first hour in both versions. Maybe like a facehugger appears, and that's about mm. it. The alien has been downpowered. The characters aren't the special. I mean, I like uh, Bishop and all that. They were great. And otherwise, like, I just find myself kind of drifting off during the, the viewing of it. And that sounds really bad. See, what I like about the film is yeah. it's not trying to copy Alien. It's trying to do its own thing. It is missing the horror aspect, but it still manages to make the xenomorphs 
threatening because yeah. even though they have like um, the protagonists have access to a weaponry that can easily like blow them apart, Zemo is still able to like take out most of the cast, I and it does the action of- really well. Though I'm a sucker for like eighties action movies. Yeah. So. I've given it a lot of thought, and like I think my problem is mainly with the special edition, the director's cut uh, of Aliens. It's just too long. It goes on forever. Oh, there's only one scene I like in the director's cut because it plays into Ripley's art. Ripley was in cryosleep at the end of Alien, and in Alien she's awoken, found that she's been asleep for like 50 years or something. She finds out her daughter died while she's in cryosleep. Yeah. And like, I feel that adds to her art because her arc in this film is missed like 50 years. She's missed her daughter's whole life. And then suddenly, like halfway through the film, when she's sent to this colony that's been attacked by aliens, she finds this helpless girl, and then that gives her like a purpose. Yeah, mm. I, I know Ewan has issues well. with them. Yeah, no, yeah, I know Ewan has issues with that, but I, I thought it was a really good arc. Mm. I, my main issue with that is is mainly Newt. <laughs> so <laughs> Newt is the little girl that they find on the planet. So okay, so in the story, Ripley has been away for fifty years. She comes back and then she finds that the planet that they that they landed on originally has since been colonized by terraformers. And would you believe it, the place has since been taken over by aliens and everything's gone to hell. So they send in the and Marines. This, this is the scene that is ruined by seeing the director's cut where we already see the colony early before Ripley gets there. Yeah. And it's like, it just spoils the surprise. Hicks in this film, he kind of has a similar arc to Ripley in the previous one because Ripley was kind of forced into like a more of a leadership kind of role. Yeah. Hicks has a similar kind of deal because he was like, being the highest ranking survivor of the Marines. As Burke dismissively calls him, he's just one of, you know, he's just a grunt. I like Hudson. I don't know you and... I like Hudson. But, like, here's the thing, like, (laughs) I feel like he is kind of, like, reacting in a way that I can find believable, but it's also absolutely hilarious. Like, the game, oh, there's a little bit where, like, Ripley's talking to Newt, saying, like, are you okay? It's like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. You just see him in the background going, it's all over, we're gonna die, mate. (laughs) That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. The fuck are we gonna do now? <laughs> and also, there's the bit where, like, Newt basically is in charge. She's gonna guide them to where the aliens are. And there's a little jump cut to her just, like, saluting in his little helmet. And then Hudson's just like, what the hell, man? Why are we getting the child in charge? Why don't you put her in charge? Because, <laughs> like, he's the only one that's got common sense. Is thinking, why are we... Why am I oh, stuck with these big... maniacs? <laughs> I love the Marines and the way they all play off each other. Uh, particularly, um, Vanquez and Drake have a very uh, brother-sisterly relationship. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is too bad. I just thought that was really good. Yeah. One thing that helped with that is they filmed the Marine scenes last, so they had like a sense of like camaraderie between them all. Yeah, I, I think my problem is, my problem with Newt is that aside from two problems, right? First off, I just think that the whole thing with Ripley wanting to be a surrogate mother to and and wanting Newt to be a surrogate daughter is just annoying and very like I don't know it screams of 80s what would a what would a woman like want you know what would a woman care about and it's like oh of course children and my other problem is the character development that they spend so much time on with Newt and Ripley basically just getting Newt to talk could have been spent on Drake and Vasquez, could have been spent on Hudson, it could have been spent on Hicks. Yeah. 
I actually really like Hudson. I I like him as a character. I just wish we got to know him more. Like, the only cool thing Hudson really gets to do is he rescues Newt from the facehugger, which is Mm. great. I like seeing him do that. And of course, it's Bill Paxton. I love Bill Paxton. We're going to talk about him next episode. But yeah, like, Bill Paxton is cool. And I just feel like I would have really have liked to have known, like, you know, what's Hudson's backstory? Why Why is a guy who's so freaked out by everything, why the hell is he in the Marine? We're coming out of the wall! We're coming out of the goddamn wall! Like, yeah, what's his story? And Vasquez, like, she gets this whole setup of being, like, this badass, basically a butch lesbian. <laughs> like, butch lesbian who's clearly the top of the Marine Corps. I only need to know one thing. Where they are. But it's like, who is she? Well, she's like borderline a Mexican stereotype. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. (laughs) And I'm just like, no, don't make her a Mexican stereotype. Make her interesting. Like, god damn yeah. it. <laughs> I will say that, again, they have done a good job with Bishop, though. And also the interview. Yeah, Bishop is cool. Yeah. I do like Bishop. I can't, can I just say as well, Burke is... It says in my notes here, Burke, what a slimy bastard. Because <laughs> you, are, you wrote that down. Because Ash in Alien, he was doing what he did because he was programmed to. Yeah. Burke is basically playing the same role, but... He's even worse because he's a human, so he's doing it because oh, he, he wants to get money off him. He's, he's, he wants to profit off it, so yeah. he's doing it for his own selfish agendas. You know, Burke, I don't know which species is worse. You don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage. What? Yeah, what an ass. <laughs> Another thing I like is this film does not try to explain the origins of the xenomorph and still maintains a sense of mystery about them. Yeah. The only thing that gets added to them is that we get to see what's what lays the eggs in the first one, which is a queen. Which is awesome. And yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and the scene where the queen's revealed is genuinely really well done because you rip yeah. goes into the room with all the eggs and then suddenly you like see the camera kind of like slowly reveal this like big giant thing with like a massive I'm not sure how to describe like, a massive tube coming out of her that's laying the eggs. It's like an egg sack. It's oh, huge it's so thing. Weird. Like it's very gross. <laughs> And she has those two little bodyguards yeah. with her that are just like, hey, mum, we'll protect you. And then all of a sudden they get a flame for her. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to hide, mum. <laughs> and then, of course, at the end, the queen ends up coming onto the ship and Aiden gets to fight with the power loader, which she says, probably my favourite line in the movie. Get away from her, you bitch! Yeah. yeah. Great moment. Well, my as I mentioned when rewatching Aliens, my favorite thing in the film is definitely the power loaders because they they look like power armor from Fallout. I guess it's stop motion, right? Like the way they did it. I don't know how they did it. I'm still not sure how they did it. It's just it's amazing. It's like she's like grabbing the alien and like pushing it, it away it and like stop motion. Oh, if it's stop motion, it's really um, good stop motion. Right. And there was a toy line for this film released in 1992, which is where the Ripley I had came from. In the 80s, a big thing of like taking these R-rated movies and marketing them for children. They're unstoppable! And we've got to give it our best shot! Normally, this was done through an animated series. This is what they initially tried to do with Alien. They were going to do a cartoon series called Operation Aliens. They made a pilot, but it's never seen the light of day aside from like some screenshots. They cancelled it because they realised it was practically impossible to try and make aliens more kid-friendly. But Kenner had already made all the toys, so they just released them anyway. Oh my god. <laughs> the toy line was interesting because they had all these different like, aliens that came from different creatures. So there's like a, like a gorilla alien, there's a butterfly. Oh wow. I think so. Flying alien queen. 
It's the alien flying queen! Yeah. And her gruesome gorillas! Send in the ultimate space marine, Atax, disguised in his big, bad bug suit! Wow. Which okay. is interesting, because that's something that comes up in Alien 3. Yes, yeah, yeah there is. There, well, one thing we should note about the alien is the fact that you know, it does carry the DNA of its original hosts. So the reason why the reason why it's it's always so humanoid, at least in Alien and Aliens, is because its host is human. But yeah, no, there definitely would be variations because you know it, it latches into whatever host it grabs and just rolls with that. Going back to Bishop as well, there is this anxiety of like androids that Ripley develops, understandably after a the events of Alien. You never said anything about an android being on board, why not? And basically, Bishop's like this different type of android. He's been like, he's more sophisticated. And he's sort of like, it's selfless. He says like he isn't stupid, he knows he's risking his life, but he's programmed to do these sort of things and be protective. Eventually the two do learn to trust each other. It's a, the way that those two develop, I think was really well done in Aliens. Bishop does redeem androids in yeah. Aliens, which I do like. I, and I like Bishop. Like, you know, it's, it's Lance Henriksen, you know, he's, he's great. And he does a great job of like this kind of, I don't know, he, he's got like a kind of almost like dead-eyed look to him. There's nothing behind the eyes kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like, no, he is a good guy. He's, 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 he saves them in the end and yeah. uh, turn, turns up with the ship. Oh, I love all of that. And he, um, he gets so... cuts open very horribly. There's one more thing I want to praise about this film. Is the world building that gets introduced into the alien world, to be fair? Like, it introduces, like, Wayland Utani. Wayland Utani is the name of the company that yeah. is the main, the main villain of, of the series, as I said. And, yeah. and we get the Marines who called a try to make a shit video game about them. Well, how do you know I don't actually really like colonial Marines? I don't, it's fucking atrocious, but you'd have looked pretty silly if I had, wouldn't you? And the guns that they use as well, which is quite significant to the video oh, games. Oh, they're so cool. They, they, yeah. they use them so well in the video game adaptations of Alien and Alien vs. Predator. Like, they used to kind of... They get louder the closer you get to an alien, and it's brilliant. So uh, the film brought us that, so we've got to give it credit. Like I said, I enjoy Aliens. It's a fun kind of science fiction action movie. I just, I, I wish that, like, I want Vasquez to, like, have a whole badass scene to herself with the pulse rifle. Like, I don't know. Just... The, whole, yeah, the whole first hour was too long. It was just too long for me. Well, I, I think this, I think the the original cut is solid. The special edition just makes you want to crawl into a hole and get impregnated by an alien. Oh I god! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they mostly come out at night. Mostly. It's on Alien Three. <laughs> yes. In a world where the sun burns gold, a visitor has come, but not. By herself, the bitch is back. <laughs> Alien 3. I like it, but it is a little bit messy. But given the behind-the-scenes bullshit that went on with this movie, because this movie was in development hell for, like, years, I'm more forgiving of it. So the fact that it turned out, as well as it did, needs to be commended, considering everything that went on. Yeah, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes nonsense. How many directors did they work through? Did... Quite a few different scripts as well. Like... Yeah, different scripts. I noticed that there were like five or six writers. Yeah. There was... Originally, the idea was going to be about Hicks because they weren't sure if they were going to get Sigourney Weaver back. So, and there's one where they're going to be like some space mall when there's going to be this space Russians or something. 
I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space! I think the reason why I love Alien Free as much as I do. It's definitely my second favorite of the series, I would say. If even if even up there with Alien. It's not as well made as Alien, but I like all the themes in it and everything. I like that it's like with Aliens, it's not trying to be Alien. This isn't even trying to be Aliens, it's trying no. to be more of its own thing. Current folks. Exactly. What I like is that you've had these two films that are fairly ensemble driven. Like Ripley gets to do all the heroics at the end of Aliens, but ultimately they're ensemble casts. They're all about that. This is Ripley's film, and I really like that. I really like that we finally had a movie where she gets to like breathe for a second, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I like that it ends with her sacrificing because this alien thing has ruined her life like years and she's finally just kills herself to rid the universe of it you've been in my life so long i can't remember anything else yeah well that's the big spoiler warning on this one is that yes ripley does die at the end of alien 3. that's what's so sad about it is that it's it's her last days i also but love the so the idea that xenomorphs take different forms depending on the animal they just take inside although the idea of it being a dog in the the theatrical cut was a bit silly i'm not against it i'm honestly fine with it because it, it at least explains why it runs so fast i don't know because it's a very fast moving alien whereas the other ones were always quite slow moving yeah this one sprints so there's part of me that's like, yeah, it makes sense that it came out of a dog. It's like a little dog alien. Yeah, but the, the purpose of the cow, I think, is more in tone with the themes of the film. Another spot, Hicks and Newt are killed off screen. Their funeral, at the same time, we get to see the alien being born. I thought yeah. that was really well done. From a seed comes new life that as well. That whole uh, opening of Alien 3 is freaky. I think that's what put off a lot of people from Alien 3 is that they were big fans of Aliens and they wanted to see more of like Hicks and Newt and all of that kind of thing. Which I think Hicks and Newt, as I said in the last thing, they barely had any character development, so I can't care less. So bye, <laughs> like whatever. And finally, Ripley doesn't have a stupid child like hanging off of her. It's Ripley's story. It's not mommy Ripley. I've always thought that Newt is more interesting dead than alive. Oh, <laughs> God. Jesus. Because Ripley's sadness, I love Sigourney Weaver's performance in this. Like, I just love the way that there's a mix of sadness, but then there's also that kind of sense of urgency because she immediately has the character Clemens, played by Charles Dance, do an autopsy on Newt to make sure that she wasn't killed by an alien. And she's asked, you know, was she your daughter? And she just says no. And there's this real, like, yeah, yeah. sadness. What well, do you like this film? The reason I don't rank it as high as Aliens or Alien is there's just some stuff for me that doesn't work. It's like Alien and Aliens, I think they have really good atmosphere. This isn't quite on that level. Like it's got great cinematography, but I think the aesthetic of the sets is eh, a bit bland. It's very brown. <laughs> very <laughs> dirty looking as well. Yeah. Probably the worst special effects of the entire yeah. quadrilogy. Yes. What the hell? Yeah. They bloody like that, they did something with the alien. I don't know if it's like stop motion, but it's clearly a composited special effect. There's that iconic scene, the alien's right up in Ripley's face and she's kind of like back to get against the wall. Like that yeah. looks really good, but the shot before that looks absolutely 
dreadful. It's like a little cartoon. It's so green because there's clearly the green screen composite background. We should once again just explain the premise quickly. So Ripley crash lands on a planet called Fury 16, which she discovers used to be a prison planet for extremely violent criminals, they mention. But it's no longer a prison because the company closed it down years ago, but a lot of the inmates had found religion. So it's actually more of a monastery than it is like a prison at this point. So that's interesting. Originally going to be, it's going to be on this wooden planet with loads of monks, but then that got changed to right. the prison planet. Which is a perfect idea. It's great because you have this one woman turning up in this world of hyper aggressive men who haven't seen a woman in years. There's a great moment when Charles Dance, uh, Clemens, he just mentions none, none of these men have seen a woman in years, neither have I for that matter. The guy who did Newt and Hicks's service, Ripley comes down to thank him for the service mm. and then he's just sitting there like, Gil, you don't want to know me, lady. I'm a murderer and rapist of women. Really? Well, I guess I must make you nervous. <laughs> It's so yeah. good. Which script is a badass. Like, oh, one of my problems with the script is there was an egg on the ship. How did it get there? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, well, it does. Well, if you want an explanation, I don't know. I think maybe it burst out of Hicks. It made Hicks into an egg, and that's why his body is so ruptured. And then there's an extra face hugger running around that just, gets just, onto the dog slash cow. We should mention it was also a cow just, in, in the special edition. So the alien just popped in the corner somewhere, and no one saw it. That's what happened. <laughs> what problem for this film is Sigourney Weaver only agreed to this film if there weren't any guns in it. So, on this one, not a big issue, but we're on a prison planet where there's no guns. Like, you'd think at least the guards would be carrying up some kind of firearm in case no, they get up. No, Disagree. Disagree. Oh. Brian Glover, who plays Superintendent, <laughs> uh, Superintendent Andrews, he points out that the people, like, who are in charge of the prison, they don't need guns anymore because don't give a bunch of violent criminals guns or don't give them any kind of access to guns for obvious reasons. But if the prisoners decide to kill the superintendent or any of the guards or anything, there's a supply ship that arrives every six months. If the superintendent isn't there to answer them, the supply ship will stop supplying the planet and all of the people on the planet would die. So, no, it makes sense. It does make sense. Sigourney Weaver had was she wanted to like have sex with a xenomorph. I think they were just like, you can have the no guns, but that's not happening. Okay. No, she actually gets to have sex, which is great. Okay, so I really love this movie's script. There's a lot of great little moments. She's chatting to Charles Dance. He's like asking her questions because he wants to know like, you know, who who is she? Where is she from? She's like putting up all of the walls to like kind of distract from what's her backstory, like what's happened to her, like why, you know, how, how did she end up crash landing on a on a prison planet? And she immediately changes the, the conversation where she's like, are you attracted to me? In what way? In that way. I'm very direct. I've been out here a long time. Just cute, like, oh yeah, she's got the horn. It's so good. 
Oh, and then they bone. It's wonderful. To the monastery stuff we were talking about, there is a lot of biblical themes in this film. The special edition in the cow, it's kind of like a sacrifice to the gods, but it kind of goes horribly wrong, basically. And a lot of the things you see in, like, the Iliads in particular, there's, mm. like, plagues and stuff that the gods bring upon, like, people that are sinning, basically. And so, basically, the direction of this film was David Fincher, mm. but this film had, like, loads of producers and stuff who were, like, interfering, and Fincher, he wasn't happy about that, so I think he just walked off and was just like, yeah, I've had enough. He's uh, thrown a hissy fit about that film ever since. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when he got asked to, I think, special edition for the quadrilogy box set, he was like, no, because I'd have to reshoot loads of stuff. And so what they did was they got, like, an earlier cut, which is, I think, closer to his vision. I think that it works better. The added things are, are like, more weights to the film. It looks almost like, I, I wanted to say, like, Lord of the Ringsy at the very start. Like, there's definitely, you know, with the monastery. I was going to say it's more like June. Like, the, like, a bit of the guy single-handedly takes Ripley and just runs with her. That, yeah. That's so cool. I was just going to say that it reminds me, there's a lot of like poppy sci-fi stories and novels and stuff like that that have like cloaked figures running around deserts and these yeah. weird anachronistic looking like cloaked figures in the kind of futuristic environments. It captured that mm. so perfectly. You know, on that note, I love where they mentioned that they've got all of this technology and no way to fix it because they don't have, like, spare parts or anything. So it's I, I love that. Yeah, it's this anachronistic world of, like, cloaks and religion. And Ripley, when she's introduced in the special edition, she is on the beach, like, completely covered in, like, this black mud almost, and also covered in maggots as well. It's really gross. And she's, like, washed ashore from the sea. You get the sense of, as you said, like, this biblical imagery. There's definitely a bit of the Eve to her, mm. it, like Pandora's box, Eve, Lilith, even these kind of biblical woman figures who bring disaster to the world that they've, they've come down on. And you know what? That's actually completely accurate with Ripley <laughs> because wherever she goes, the alien follows, I always feel. And, and she finds out the reason the alien isn't attacking her is because she has the queen inside her. Yes. And also, if you think of the alien in this as Satan, basically, because at one point Paul McGann, who's in this film, he describes the alien as a dragon, which, fair enough, it kind of does look like that. It's like a weird serpent creature. And when you think of dragons in biblical terms, also in the film, they describe it as the beast. And that's a very Book of Revelations kind of reference. And the dragon as well. That's a different depictions of Satan are all tied up in beast and dragon and things yeah. like that. So if, if you think of, basically, Ripley is, she's Eve, she brings disaster to the world, and she's, like, born from the earth. Because while she also comes from, you know, you could say she comes from heaven, but she also, she's found in the mud with the maggots, you know. Yeah. So she's, like, she's born of the earth, and she comes from heaven. So she's Eve, but she's also kind of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, in a way, that, like, again, going back to, like, the Iliad and Greek stuff like that, mm. gods would typically curse men and women, like, with uh, plagues and stuff like that if they disobeyed them. These characters are all kind of being punished because they're all in prisons and they have done things in their lives. 
In a way, the alien is yeah. like that plague. There's a sense of redemption, I guess, for some of these characters. That's what Dylan, Charles S. Dutton, the priest guy who does the sermon, and the guy who also says to Ripley that he doesn't want to know her because he's a murderer and rapist of women. So all of these characters, their fight with the alien is ultimately to save humanity. But and that is shown by the end because Ripley kills herself. She's pregnant with the Queen and that's ridding the universe of this monster for good. It's the passion of Ripley, especially when you think of like Jesus and how Jesus would hang out with all the pimps and the prostitutes. It's a similar thing. You've got a woman Jesus hanging out with all the thieves and the murderers and the rapists. And they're the ones who are tasked with saving humanity. The thing that I love is it's such a weird film. The way they kill the alien as well, where they drop like hot lead on it and then like pour water on it so it explodes. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> they also got a good Shakespearean cast for it as well. I love that Charles Dance is uh, Ripley's love interest in this. Mm. Because A, Charles Dance is a really great actor, so it's great to see him here. But also, he's introduced as a doctor who treats Ripley when she crash lands on the planet. Although he does mention when she says, like, you're a doctor, and he just says, chief medical officer. He's not a doctor, because he. it later turns out that he actually himself used to be a prisoner of the planet, because he was addicted to morphine, he was drinking as well, and he accidentally killed 15 patients with the wrong dose of painkiller. So, you know, he had his medical license revoked, and he was put on the prison planet, and then when the prison closed, he was asked if he wanted to stay as the medical officer, you know, because they, they couldn't get anyone else and he couldn't get work anywhere else. And what I love is that when you think about him and Ripley, they're both people with survivor's guilt. They're conscious of the fact that why have I survived and all of the people, like whether or not I cared about them, but ultimately why am I still alive and why is someone like Newt dead? When Newt was completely innocent, I think that Clemens is a wonderful foil because both of them have all of the walls up. They barely tell each other about each other at first. But then as the film continues, we get more of a sense of who Clemens is and we get more of a sense of who Ripley is. Also, Ripley has her own Jesus moment. There's a bit when she literally has her arms wide open because she wants oh, yeah. Dylan to come. But then he refuses because he says, if you've got that thing inside you, that means you've got an advantage. The alien won't kill you. So that gives us a way to help kill him. Yeah. Yeah, that's also, another change that made the special edition is when Ripley kills herself in the theatrical cut, the alien actually bursts out of her. Assembly cut, it doesn't. And I think I kind of prefer that. Yeah, it's more of her moment rather than the aliens. Although I do kind of love when the alien bursts from her chest as she falls into the fire. I do kind of like the fact that she grabs it and she's like, oh no, you don't. <laughs> it realizes it's about to die and it's like, oh fuck, <laughs> jumps out. It's like Lord of the Rings when Gollum falls into Mount Doom. I really love Ripley's pep talk to the prisoners when they're all like freaking out and she just says, do you really think the company are going to give a shit about a bunch of ex-cons on the arse end of the galaxy? And that's when it shit starts to dawn on them mm. that, oh God, we are like, to them, we're crud. Because at the end, so the cool in this film, I love Ripley. Wade and Yutani actually Bishop, or at least supposedly the human that Bishop Android was based on comes mm. to claim the end. Yeah. And that's why Ripley's like, you're not getting this thing and just yeets herself. <laughs> <laughs>
to go into biblical references, it's the last temptation of Ripley. It's when he's saying to Ripley, like, this can all end. We'll take it out of you. We'll freeze it so that it can be surgically removed. You can start your whole life again. You can have a family. You can do... Which is obviously a lot. move on with they yeah, just yeah. Murderer. Oh, probably. And, and mm -hmm. but ultimately, she's saying you've got to promise me that you'll destroy the alien when you do take it out. And of course, they're not going to do that. You know, as he said, think of all we can learn from it. In the end, she she has to kill herself because any trace of the alien they can get, they'll use. Yeah, I feel it was a good ending for Ripley's character. I think it's great. <laughs> so, Alien Resurrection. Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're a thing, a construct. They grew you in a lab. So I hear you, like, ran into these things before. Yeah. What did you do? I died. Interestingly, we've discovered we have difference of opinion on this particular film. I really like it. When I watched it for the first time, I didn't expect it to be like a comedy sort of thing. I've recently started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I can see a resemblance in the writing of it being more of a character-led story. Now, this is mm. different for Alien, because Alien's not really a character-driven kind of franchise. It's more about the monster. But this time, we have a cast of misfits, as it were, pirates, which are suddenly all quite goofy and interesting. You end up liking them and, like getting amused by their jokes. I love the guy that's in the wheelchair. He's like, who are you expecting, Santa Claus? Uh, so I, should probably, um, <laughs> I should probably just say the premise. So the premise of this film is quite ridiculous. Basically, after the events of Alien 3, Wayland yutani gets the hold of some aliens. They splice some alien DNA. It's not Wayland yutani It's it not? not. No. No, wrong. What is it? They're the military. The company went under decades ago. Bought out by Walmart. The military are in charge now, well, baby. <laughs> the, the military has spliced alien DNA with Ripley's DNA, and they've made this weird thing that's, like, got some of Ripley's memories. She, she basically looks like Ripley. She's like a little clone. It's her DNA from Fury 16 when she had the alien inside of her. So you have this mixed DNA from both Ripley and the alien queen. And what they were trying to do was to perfectly replicate Ripley as she was in Fury 16 with the alien queen inside her so that they can remove the alien fetus from her and then, yeah, use it for, for their, their military weaponry division. But also she has a psychic link with the aliens now. These pirates yeah. come in and clearly they get uh, involved in this kind of weird plot of the military where the aliens find a way to escape. There have been experiments being done on people, as you were saying, to like make more aliens and basically, I think they want to use them as soldiers, don't they? Yeah, yeah they want to use them as the military. Yeah. yeah. They break away and then they start basically foiling that plan and making an escape. Yeah, the pirates are there because they've smuggled in human specimens for the military to use. Yeah. The pirates are scumbags. <laughs> like, they are, they are horrible people in doing this, but it's ultimately everything goes awry, like, immediately, because of course it does. Like, the aliens, the aliens escape. It also has two of our celebrity crushes in it. So it has Ewan's celebrity crush, which is Winona Ryder, and it has my celebrity yeah. crush of Ron Perlman. Yeah, oh boy. Must be a chick thing. 
So um, casting is on point. It's just... Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, my defense of Alien Resurrection. It's a very silly film, but it has a great premise. I actually really love the idea of just cloning Ripley and creating an alien from that. But I also love the Ripley clone because she's not Ripley. She's not the Lieutenant Ripley that we knew from the previous film. Sigourney Weaver is playing a very different character and she's like this weird mix of of alien and Ripley DNA. So she's basically Spider-Man in some regards where she has like super fast reflexes and super strength, which I think is just really, it's really goofy, but it's really fun because there's the wonderful basketball scene. And she also has Acid for Blood, which is, of course, the big kind of tell. She also has these long black fingernails, which I just think is hilarious and great. So she's part alien and part Ripley. And what I like about that, on a kind of serious thematic note, is that that kind of ties the series together. The thing I really love about Alien 3 is that Ripley starts to connect more with the alien because she realizes she has one inside her. There's the wonderful scene where she says, I'm part of the family. She starts to accept them. Like in the first film, she discovers them and she rejects it completely. In the second film, she destroys them completely. And in the third film, she accepts them. And then with Resurrection, literally, come on, the biblical themes of Alien 3, the the next film is called Resurrection. But with that one, the symbiosis is complete. Ripley is now completely tied to the alien, not just not just because she has one inside her, but because she literally is part alien. It's like it's almost like Carl Jung level. It's like the shadow self thing. Sorry, this is going very, like, you know, female. I never thought like that before, actually. Well, I think it's kind of the opposite of you, and I took it the opposite. I didn't take it anywhere near as seriously as he did. I just kind of went in and just thought, this is a lot of dumb fun. This is funny. And the funny thing is, it's made by a surrealist director who is is known for his dark comedy. Uh, It was Jean-Pierre Junette. Before he made Alien Resurrection, he made Delicatessen, which is a dark comedy film. And... Also, he went on after this to make Amelie, which is Mm. also, you know, a darkly funny film. And I think that's reflected. You can tell that there's a lot of, like, weird cartoonishness with the the mother alien, you know, and like the child, the weird child alien that's like, yeah. Just... Well, well, Dom- Dominic Pinon, the guy in the uh, the wheelchair, is like a regular yeah. um, Jean-Pierre um, cast member. And there's that brilliant <laughs> scene at the beginning with like the bug alien thing, and it's just so perfect. And you can tell that it's made by him. In the special edition, I don't know why they didn't include this in the original cut, but in the special edition, it starts with this soldier or pilot or whatever. There's like this little alien. It's not an alien, but it's like a fly and it looks like the alien. And he like, you know, kills it. And then he like spits it out of like a spitball uh, straw thing. And it's just so adolescent and cartoony and silly. It sets the tone perfectly. (laughs) It's also worth noting that the two different versions have two very different endings. The original theatrical cut has a very weirdly upbeat, happy ending where they're going to Earth and it's like, it's so beautiful, it's all happy, yay. And then in the yeah, second film, yeah. it's, it's horribly apocalyptic and broken and Planet of the Apes <laughs> level of like, just sheer horror and despair. Mm. And it's like, Earthman, what a shithole. 
Yeah, it, it is literally, they blew it up, damn you. <laughs> like, yeah. they, they arrived on Earth and everything is just fucked. <laughs> Sig Sigourney Weaver and Winona Ryder have a cute little lesbian thing going on. Yeah, oh um, yeah. The real reason I love this film is because uh, Sigourney Weaver and Winona Ryder are basically a lesbian couple in this film. We'll go into the story of Cole, um, Winona Ryder's character, but yeah, like, they, they develop a relationship and they basically are just like a lesbian couple in a Mad Max world at the end of the film. It's brilliant. And one last <laughs> thing as well, in regards to the director and also Joss Whedon writing, and a lot of his characters character-driven, including Marvel. There are some great one-liners in this. There's the bit when Ron Perlman is asking Ripley, like, so you ran into these things before? And she's like, yeah. And it's like, what did you do? I died. <laughs> <laughs> or like the bit where he's saying, like, fork. Fuck. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna jump in because, yeah, my opinion is different. So, but before I say why I don't like it, I'm going to say there is a couple of things I do like. There is a scene where Ripley discovers the bodies of the failed attempts to clone her. That scene, I was like, that was really good. That yeah. felt really well done. That's really and, messed up, yeah. Because um, she's number eight, and there's like the seven aborted attempts. At yeah, and one's still kind of like alive, and she's just like, please kill me. And this is yeah, it's, genuinely it's, shocking. It's, it's really then, horrible. I like the concept of Renaud Ryder's character being like an android who's kind of just been built by machines and then just run amok. Just this movie, it just doesn't work for me. I get your like James's point of view that it is kind of more dumb, and I think direction and the scripts just feel at odds with each other. Like That's the, what I was going to say actually, very quickly before I finish. Is that there is a mismatch between the director and Joss Whedon's writing. They're both good, yeah. but they're not fitting too Yeah, I didn't think they're meshed. That's why it didn't really work for me. And yeah. I think also, like, I get that people argue with Aliens, the Xenomorphs aren't as scary anymore. But I think in Aliens, they're at least trying to make them anything. In this film, you just see them, like, behind glass. We see them too much and just... I don't think they're threatened. They're just, like, dumb monsters running around. They're actually really funny for me in this film. Yeah. I love them. They're behind the glass. And there's like the three of them and you realize that they're talking to each other. They're like hatching a plan. One of them realizes that the plan involves killing him so that they can get the acid blood so that they can like dig their way out. I don't know how they did it, but you can literally see the terror in this alien's face as he's like, wait, 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 no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it, guys. Don't do it. <laughs> completely agree, though. They are not sinister in this film. I also find most of the characters are all really one. Like, they're not, the characters even forget one. Like, there's the guy in the wheelchair who speaks in the silly voice. No offense, man. None taken. There's Ron Coleman who's just grumpy. When I rewatched this film, I completely forgot there are characters. I just find this movie unpleasant to watch. Like, when I'm watching it, I'm just waiting for it to finish. It's very green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Also, I hate the hybrid. I think the hybrid is so fucking dumb. The hybrid is my favourite part of the movie now. I'm sorry. Literally, I originally went into this agreeing with Rob that it's really dumb. And the more I've watched it, the more I've fallen in love with it. Like, I told um, you, you've come to the light side, Ewan. You are... So the alien queen that they took out of Ripley has grown up and she's laid eggs which have been used on the captive humans that they've smuggled in 
But the alien queen itself has some kind of metamorphosis from having been part of Ripley. It's a mammalian reproduction cycle. So she literally gives birth rather than from an egg, but, you know, from her own body and has like a swollen belly, that kind of thing. And from it out comes one of the dumbest looking things of all time. The newborn, the alien hybrid, who's like a weird mix of alien and human. And it has like a weird skull face and uh, it's like pale white for some reason and it has like a yeah. long tongue. It's the dumbest looking thing. Yeah, like, I, I agree. That. I think it just looks, that's what I think. It looks so stupid. I'm just, I don't think it looks, it's scary. I just think it looks ridiculous. Like, like, as I watched it, I realized the aliens, they're not really meant to be the enemy in this film, at least not in the same way that they used to be. It's like I said with Ripley kind of seeing herself in the aliens more and more mm-hmm. and kind of relating to them more and more. There's the wonderful scene where she falls into the alien nest and you just see it like all writhing around her and she's just in the center of it. And she's one of them and she's like mm-hmm. part of it now and like she's accepted completely her her shadow self which again it's this union thing basically like Mm -hmm. the bad parts of yourself you need to learn to accept them and that's what ripley Mm -hmm. learns to do in this film there's a bit when she's being carried by the alien because she's being carried to the queen and she embraces it and and i love that i love the fact that like ripley has she's gone the other side um winona rider at one point is like when ripley kills an alien she's like i can't believe you did that it's like killing one of your own and she's like it was in my way but beyond that, she does care more about the aliens, ultimately, than she does about the, the humans. I can make it all stop. What makes you think I would let you do that? My biggest, pro- my biggest problems is it just feels unnecessary. It feels like Alien 3, I think, is a good ending for Ripley's character. I think my problem with this one is it just feels like 20th Century Fox see Alien franchise that's relatively lucrative, so they're just making this film to get artists in seats and make some money. So it just feels so tacked on. It's set like 200 years after, so it feels mainly disconnected from anything that happens in the last three yeah. films. I understand what you're saying, but I, I think it still works. It's just in a different context now. Like, mm. it's in a world where Ripley no longer gives a shit, which I quite like. Winona Ryder in Alien Resurrection, I think it's it's safe to say, for anyone who knows me, or well, maybe not everyone knows this, but I have a huge crush on Winona Ryder, and that's a big plus with this film, because she looks great. She's in Stranger Things uh, too, and you don't like that. No, that's true. So, <laughs> you know, I like Alien Resurrection, but, like, Winona Ryder's a big part of why I like it. There's other reasons why I like it as well. But yeah, she plays an android and one of the cool developments of the past 200 years is apparently there was some kind of android rebellion, which I like to think one of the bishops started that and they started making their own androids. It's like their own kind of reproduction. So once again, we've got that androids as an evolutionary continuation of humanity. So it's great to see that like actually continuing on from the themes of the Alien series. So she plays a character called Call, and she is basically programmed to care about humans. No human being is that humane. And so that's the reason why she joins this pirate crew, because she realizes that Ripley and the aliens are going to be on the ship that the pirates are smuggling the humans to. So she goes there to try and assassinate Ripley and destroy the aliens. I couldn't let them annihilate themselves. Do you understand that? I did once. I tried to save 
people. It didn't work out. But also the relationship that develops between Ripley and Paul. It's like you were saying with aliens, James. We've gone from the point where Ripley hates androids to Ripley accepting androids to Ripley basically falling in love with an android. If we go with my lesbian reading of <laughs> Alien Resurrection. <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's just, I, I really enjoy it. It's really fun. One, it's a really nice relationship. One last is that there is a... You and you were saying earlier about how there was that scene where like the android is saying like, it's a magnificent magnificent specimen and then in the second one there's the gentleman trying well not the gentleman at all but like the guy trying to take back an alien saying like it's the perfect being and then in the third mm. alien movie there's a guy saying like it's the dragon and stuff like that there's a scene yeah. in this movie that parodies all those moments where like this military guy is just studying this alien just like moving its head with it and then proceeds to make out with it through a window that's what I was trying to say is that every cast member in this movie is incredibly horny <laughs> like all of them at the very beginning of the film all of them are making sex references the sexual innuendo is strong in this film the sight of a woman all strapped up in a chair like that just you don't want to play basketball i know some other indoor sports how about a cup of coffee anything else while your mouth's warm little milk who do i have to fuck to get off this boat i can get you off maybe not the boat and and of course the ripley clone her like borderline one of her the first words she says is fuck fork Fuck. Yes. See, I, I can see the scripts. Like, when I was watching the film for this, I did think some of these lines, the film had been directed a bit differently. I think it would have worked for me a bit more. I think the... I liked it, the direction. Yeah. I, I personally, I think the two the two work well together. I think yeah. there's definitely criticisms of the kind of visuals of it and like, yeah, I can totally see that. It's, but it's, yeah, it's I guess it's just not for me. I guess I just don't get it, but yeah. yeah. That's fair enough. Not, a lot of people didn't like it either, to be fair. Uh, oh no, this, Rob, you are literally, you know, like You're a minority, everyone. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not me saying it because like everyone said, I mean, I like Batman forever which not yeah. a lot of people seem to. Oh yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Batman Forever, the composer of that, did the, the soundtrack of Alien 3. El Elliot Goldenfall, just wanted to mention. Alien 3, I think, has my favourite soundtrack, I've realised. Aliens oh. has um, my favourite soundtrack because um, it's done by James Horne, who did a lot of great soundtracks, because sadly he's no longer with us. To go back no, to what James. Rob was saying about like the mismatch between directors, the thing is, it's got it's, the director is a surrealist and Joss Whedon is more of a like comic book writer. So yeah, Joss Whedon was very vocal about... He didn't like how this film turned out at all. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I couldn't care less what Joss Whedon thinks of anything. We need to end it on a very important note, which is that Sigourney Weaver actually did slam dunk that basketball into the basketball net. In, in that take where she like she's walking away from the basketball net throws the ball backwards and it slam dunks it's the most fucking badass thing raw unedited uninterrupted footage of Sigourney making the shot the hell are you I will say this. I used to think this was like the absolute bottom of the barrel for the Alien franchise. I did watch the other films that I hadn't seen. You guys are probably the screen, but I think I prefer Prometheus and Covenant. So things I can at least just have on in the background and glance up at every now and again. But then I watched Alien vs Predator Requiem. Oh. After watching Alien vs Predator 2, I appreciate Resurrection 
a little bit more because at least it's not as awful as Alien vs. Predator mm, Requiem. No, See, agree. here's my thing about Aliens vs. Predator. I don't want to go, I'm not really going into it here, but I just want to say, like, the reason I don't care, because I'm, I'm a bit of a Sigourney Weaver purist when it comes to these films. I kind of feel like if Ripley or even the Ripley clone isn't in these films, then I don't it just doesn't interest me at all. Because well, like, I kind of believe that the alien and Ripley, their fates are tied to each other. And I really like that as like a thematic point about the series. And I just kind of feel like nobody remembers any of the characters in Aliens vs. Predator or even like Prometheus really. Who cares? Like, it doesn't have Ripley in them and Ripley's uh, the reason why uh, the films work. I do enjoy the first Alien vs. Predator movie because there's, there's a whole extended franchise with Alien and Predator and everything in the comic books and video games and stuff like that. I took a story from that and made a movie about it. It's not canon, like, there's no way about it, but it's just comic book fun, do you know what I mean? And I love that. But the second film upset me because they basically had the, the, the Predator tried to eat children and I was like, I don't like this anymore. Oh yeah, the second <laughs> film is just... It's a, it is a shit slasher film that just happens to have Alien and Predator in. And watch Batman Dead End because it's such a brilliant short film. It was made years ago, pre-YouTube days, and it involves Alien and Predator and Batman crossing over. And it's made by nerds, nah. for nerds. It's very short, eight minutes long. You can find it on YouTube for free. I love it. I'm probably going to link it below, so watch that. Yeah. That wraps up the Alien quadrilogy. Oh. So, yes, thank you for listening. We are on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at BluecastPod. And we also have an email address, which is at BluecastPod. And we are also on Spotify and YouTube and Apple Podcasts. So, wherever you watch it on, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it around to anyone you think might be interested. And subscribe to the YouTube channel as yeah. well. And like the video. Please comment on anything you'd like to hear us review, because it's always a lot of exactly. fun. Yeah, and we might even give you a um, might even give you a shout out on the podcast as well. Exactly. Before we go, next time, sticking with science fiction, although something with more of an optimistic look at the future. <laughs> we are talking yeah. about Thunderbirds, the specifically the original 1960s supermarination show. Um, a show I've loved since my childhood. I'm looking forward to discussing it. Yeah. Oh. I'm excited for something a bit more lighthearted. Resident Evil and then Alien has been a big, like, it's been quite a lot of yeah. horror-themed stuff, so it would be nice to, <laughs> nice to nice. watch something yeah. a bit more light. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to colours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Yeah, take care everyone and we'll hopefully speak to you soon. Goodbye. Everyone. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Signing off. <laughs>